we're going to have uh, part two of uh, friends can be so exhausting. Uh, so can topics, you know. <laughs> if we go on to part three and part four. Uh, someone was saying that uh, that the suit swallows me, uh, which is perfectly all right as long as it doesn't spit me out. <laughs> I've got, it's one of these suits, you know, that uh, doesn't have belt loops, just has little buttons that you do. So I've put a belt around it, and the problem with the belt is, if there are no belt loops, it can feel as if your pants are still on. <laughs> so the people in the choir loft back here, they've got a special assignment. <laughs> if you look closely at your ego, whenever you're talking with another person, when you're shopping, when you're driving, whenever you're around people in any way, there is a constant dialogue in which your ego is pointing out the differences between you and the other person. Our ego constantly contrasts our self, our ego self, with the self of others. We look at appearances, and see how the appearances differ. Possibly the, the race is different, or the gender is different, or there's something going on there that the ego picks up on, thinks is important. We listen to someone else speak, and every idea that's presented, every event that's told about, there's this little dialogue about how we would do it differently. It's almost too subtle to call a judgment, but of course it is pure judgment. And then when we speak, or when we act, the purpose is to contrast ourselves, to show the difference. As we said last time, we dearly love our ego because we made it. Just as a school kid loves his or her ego, excuse me, loves his or her uh, little thing that it made, uh, this little art project or sword or whatever the thing may be. At Little Art School, they uh, made them stop making swords. They've got a little table out there where you put these things together. They've got <coughs> nails and uh, hammers and all kinds of wood and so forth. But they found that the swords were being used. They weren't just being made. Uh, but the kids kept making them, but they changed the name. They called them something else. They were uh, Geiger counters, or they were <laughs> all, all, all kinds of things. John would bring home a new sword, uh, but it was never called a sword. But he dearly loved it, loved the sword. A child will love just a rock that it picks up or a stick that it finds that looks like something. It will tell you about it. And we, of course, are no different in how we love our little child, our ego. And so we think that our differences, our opinions on the presidential race or the weather or the, what they're doing uh, to the plaza or whatever the thing is, we think that somehow our opinion is the best opinion. 
that somehow our, somehow our looks are the standard. All, all people must meet the way we look. They must be versions of ourselves. And the further away they get from the way we look or the way we think people ought to look if we are against the way we ourselves look, the further they get away from that, the uglier they are. We think that we know the volume at which we should speak. We know the uh, dishes that should be served if someone's coming over for dinner. And more importantly, we think that we can judge another person's progress. We know how far along this individual is. We know what mistakes this individual is making, what they're doing wrong. And we look at those people that the world has exalted, the rich and the famous, the wise, the beautiful. And we see how unhappy they are on the interview shows and so forth, and in the magazines. This pouring out of great unhappiness. Not every one of them, of course, but a surprising amount of unhappiness. And we say, ah, but I wouldn't do it that way. If I had great beauty or great wisdom or great respectability or whatever the thing may be, great athletic ability, great business acumen, whatever, I would handle it this way. And we really believe that. Somehow we would make it work for ourselves. This is all very innocent, this constant contrasting of ourselves before everyone. We let them know our differences and we remind ourselves of their differences over and over and over again. We actually look for them. This is the primary focus in most conversations, is a searching of the other person for the differences, a waiting to catch the sins, which are the great differences that we see. It's very innocent because it has nothing to do with truth and love and oneness which is reality. But it does have an effect, even though it's innocent. And the effect is to make us feel cut off. And so for most of us here, we judge everyone. There isn't anyone that we don't judge. And therefore, there isn't anyone that we feel truly close to. We do not feel at one and at peace with any other person in this world. And of course, we cannot feel that way about our brothers and sisters and somehow throw a switch during our meditations and feel at one with God. Because God is all and God is one. And what we think is not a part of God is. And if we see a difference between us and any part of God, we see a difference between our ego, and our self. That's all that's happening. We're identifying with this thing that we've made, this personality, these set of opinions, these problems. <coughs> By their worries ye shall know them. 
And that's how the ego is formed. It is a particular set of worries, a particular set of problems. And where is the happiness and the peace and the brotherhood and the sisterhood in that? There, of course, is none. So what then is the solution with our friends, our acquaintances, our relatives, our children, our spouse? The solution is to look instead for what is the same. It is a very simple solution. There is as much evidence of what is the same as there is as what is different. As a matter of fact, there is so much more evidence of what is the same that it fills all reality except for this teeny little speck, this little wisp of difference that we focus on with such intensity. So look in the heart of any other person and you will see the same urges. Even if the person is attacking or complaining or gossiping or backing the wrong candidate, no matter what they are doing, you will see the same yearnings as you have in your heart. Look at the heart of the other person and you will feel a oneness. You may not feel a mystical all-consuming oneness, but you'll begin to feel a softening towards this person and a sense, at least a vague sense, of your oneness with this individual. On all occasions, whether in fantasy or in actuality, our fantasies are... The ground of our fantasies is just as rich as what we think of as reality, as everyday life. If you find yourself having a fantasy... And I would say that unless you are very exceptional, you have about 600 of these a day. If you find yourself having a fantasy about another person, notice that you are contrasting yourself with this individual. Perhaps you are defending yourself in some way within the fantasy. Perhaps you are putting forth what you think are your better differences. Take it as if it were a real situation. And instead of looking for the differences, look for what is the same even in the fantasy. Say, even to the fantasy, this is my brother, this is my sister. What do I see that is the same? There is much to see on all occasions, no matter what is happening. It is always possible to be happy in the presence of another person, whether in fantasy or in actuality. This doesn't mean that you must stay in the presence of another person. It may be very difficult to stay in the presence of a person who is doing a particular thing that calls to your ego. And so it may be that you should step back. But remember that as you step back physically, be sure to step forward mentally because it will be a loss and the, the move will not serve peace. Whenever you step back physically, step forward mentally with your blessing, with your spiritual practices, whatever they may be, surrounding in light, saying words of welcome to this person, 
whatever it may be, just a stilling of the mind. Step forward with that. And as you do that, you will begin to cloak these shadow figures in light. The spiritual practices begin to have a transforming effect of the images that people your mind and that you see before you in daily life. There is a slow, gradual, pleasant, transforming effect that takes place and it covers all of humanity. It covers everyone you remember from your childhood. In fact, it covers everyone you will meet. The people you do not think you know as yet. It covers it all. As you engage in this practice, I will see no difference between me and anyone else. I will look for no difference. I will be interested in no difference. I won't deny it. I will simply look to something else that is more important, and that is what is the same. What is the same is the heart, the urges of the heart, the deep yearning to be understood, to not be cut off, the deep yearnings to be thought well of. Is there any sin in that? Is there any fault in wanting to be thought well of? Isn't that behind every boast? Is there any sin in wanting to be respected? Isn't that what is behind every assertion? There is no fault in that. And if you will see that the urge is pure, that you share the same urge, what difference does it make what form the urge is taking? Because when you, you, you unite with this person, you begin satisfying the urge. Because good urges are satisfied in the present. Unhelpful urges can never be satisfied. There's just an endless searching. It goes on and on and on. And this is an absolutely marvelous and wonderful spiritual practice. To see people not as strangers. To see people as if they were the child of God. To see people as if you have always known them. Always, always, always. To see people as if they will never desert you. Even if they appear to desert you for a time, they will not desert you. To see people as if they are a part of your family. And as you do this, you begin to cloak these images, these separatenesses, these individualities in a soft, glowing, warm radiance that you want to join with. The problem, as I've said before, and this actually, this statement actually comes from David Poole, is that If we forgive people, we think we're going to have to spend more time with them. (laughs) This is the belief. And so on a spiritual path, there is this torture that takes place, which is, I am obviously different than this person, but I'm supposed to see myself as one with them. And of course, that's totally impossible, isn't it? How can we start out saying that the person is different and then trying to somehow see our oneness with this individual. 
we will give that up. We will go to some other approach to life if we attempt to do that. But remember, as we've said here so often, the higher ego, that part of the ego that comes into play when we begin a conscious walk towards kindness and gentleness, whether it is spiritual or it is in non-spiritual terms, does not matter. But when we begin in a deliberate way to try to be a good, kind person, a person that gives and forgives and that understands, and we work hard at that, then, of course, the higher ego steps in. And as it does that, then comes this impossible demand that somehow we are supposed to join with what is different. And never is that what's called, never are we being called upon to do that. Never are you being asked to spend more time with an individual. Never are you asked being, are you being asked to talk to them more or to see them or go out to lunch with them or to agree with them on this or that subject. But your higher ego will tell you that that's what the truth is asking you to do that is making some behavioral demand. And therefore, this is a sacrifice. But it is making a demand that is far greater than a behavioral demand. It is making a mental demand. A mental opportunity. Every spiritual urging is to broaden our happiness. We simply run across an old patch of soreness in our mind, in our life, that we hadn't noticed before. We may even think that we have been set back, but we haven't been set back. We've just run across this soreness. And so what is the urging? What do the teachings tell us to do? What do the urgings of the heart tell us to do? What does our inner teacher tell us to do? Merely to broaden our happiness. Here is a place in which you're not so happy. You could be happier if you would do this, but not behaviorally, mentally, with the heart, and then let the behavior fall into line. So never do you need to anxiously monitor your conversation worrying about whether or not you will make some mistake with the words that you speak. There is no mistake to be made with the words that you speak. Because the kindest sounding words can be like a dagger if the intent is wrong. And so we soften, gentleize, sweeten the intent. That's all we do. We sweeten the eyesight. We soften the vision. We look with gentle eyes, with patient eyes, with soft eyes, with forgiving eyes. And as we do that, this cloak of innocence, this reality of innocence, the actual substance of innocence, begins to cover everything. I've mentioned mnemonics in here as a good uh, example of how this works. Mnemonics simply is the study of how to remember things. 
but within the world, it very often has to do with a future event. So somehow we're going to remember something in the future, even though it's not the future yet. And so how do we do that? We must do it mentally. Somehow we must put something into the future mentally that ordinarily would not be there so that when we walk into this future event, this mental something is already there. Everything that the ego made can be used by the Holy Spirit, A Course in Miracles points out. As in fact, it is used. So I was trying to think of an illustration of uh, mnemonics because I'd use the one uh, about putting the numbers on top of the telephone and so forth, you know, a couple of times. And uh, so I was, rem- I was thinking about names. How do you remember a name? Now here, here I am, a minister. I'm preparing a sermon. And I'm, I'm making a good point, point that people will be able to carry with them and use. And so this is what popped into my mind. There's, first of all, my name. And I told you about the little uh, monograph that was sent to me about the universal name of God. Hugh. <laughs> Which everybody says, no matter what their language, when they breathe out. Well, that's a wonderful way to remember. Hugh. And then, of course, in pray, there. (laughs) Oh, so that's very simple. I see what we'll do there. Uh, We'll simply pray to God and therefore always be able to remember Hugh, pray there. And so what's another name? I thought of John Huntress. Uh, going to the John. Uh, yes, Huntress, Huntress. Oh, but John's a cowboy. Oh, cowboy in drag. Cowboy in drag going to the John. John claims he's not a cowboy. Actually, he wore a tweed coat this morning. Once you notice this, but look carefully. You'll see the boots. The boots are sticking out. (laughs) So even in uh, preparing for a sermon, do you see how the ego comes in and contrasts, (laughs) shows you this innocent way to remember your name as opposed to someone else's? (laughs) Now, those of you who have been attending the dispensable church for some time are reading A Course in Miracles. probably are using the word ego more than you were. (laughs) This is in your conversation now. This has become a term. And one of the things that I hear people say, uh, and I've done this myself on many occasions, is I will say, uh, my ego position is, this is my ego position. I'm just telling you my ego position. Or I will say, uh, well, this is probably ego, but. (laughs) And then we go ahead and say it. Have you noticed that? (laughs) 
I'm sure this is just an ego opinion, but we go ahead and defend it and hold it and cherish it and stick doggedly to it. And whenever we do that, we, of course, attack. There's always an element of attack in there. It's just that now we have paved the way because we have said this is ego. We have acknowledged right out in front that it's probably ego, thinking it probably isn't. It's probably just what the person needs to hear. But I will add this since there is some doubt. <clears throat> since there is this loud clanging of anxiety inside me, And we feel righteous. And we say it anyway, and we feel righteous. But do we wish to feel righteous? Do we wish to feel righteous, or do we wish, wish to feel oneness? Because we cannot feel both. And we simply must, sooner or later, stop voicing mentally. anything that we even suspect is ego. To hold to one opinion, to defend one stand, to try to justify one thing that we've ever done or said is to hold to our ego, to hold to our imaginary identity, our personality, our self-image, this thing that we love so much, this thing that we have made of ourselves that has oh so little to do with simple peace and oneness and brotherhood and sisterhood, so little to do with it. And so we don't want to feel righteous. We don't want an ego opinion. We wish to see no differences. We wish to see no differences between between what we want and what someone else wants. And if you will look past the farm to the heart urge, you will see that no matter what the discussion is about, the urge is the same. And then you will feel the oneness and not the righteousness. And with that, we come to Hughes Helpful Hints. <laughs> the cowboy and drag did that. <laughs> He's actually not a cowboy. Where are you from, John? Iowa. Iowa. <laughs> All right. I won't say anything, so we won't get letters from Iowa. <laughs> Now, I just gave you one hint last time. I told you it's a great spiritual rule. No one even tittered when I say that. It's not a great spiritual rule. It's just a hint. And that is sit down if you see you have a disagreement with someone. If the other person is willing to sit down. Sit down. Close your eyes. Touch your peace and you'll see there's no disagreement. It can be that simple. And as I said last time, if it is not that simple, if you are not able to let go of what someone else said or did, you don't want to let go of it. 
What is preventing us from letting go of a grudge, a grievance, an anger, a jealousy, a rage? What is preventing us? Whose mind is it? Our mind is like a hand, and we control the fingers, and it can only grip one thing at a time. And if we do not wish to let go of what this person did or said, or that we're afraid they're going to do or say, or so often that we just fantasize them saying or doing, because it's so typical of them. <laughs> and they didn't even say it. But we know it's so typical of them that it's, we're justified in the fantasy, and we can be angry at them anyway, because that's just the kind of thing they would say. If we don't let go of it, Quickly and easily, it means that we do not want to let go of it. As I said last time, it means we wish the evidence. We want the evidence. And this, we think, constitutes evidence. Evidence that we can hold against this person. Now, do we truly wish that? That's the only question. A spiritual path is merely... The asking of the question, do I really want this? Because that's what the ego never, ever asks. Do I really want this? Is this really what I wish to do? Do I really want the evidence of this person's guilt? Do I really, really wish to continue thinking about it? Oh, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I've tried so hard. This is all ego and it's swallowed me up. We always know what to do. There are no questions in God. There is no confusion in God. We always know what to do. Say instead, I am. I just finished reading a Louis L'Amour book. What was the guy's name? I am. Does anybody read that book? Um, this is what's called a diversion. <clears throat> anybody read The Lonesome Gods? Louis L'Amour's book, The Lonesome Gods? Uh, it's a wonderful book about uh, all these Indian tribes in the Mojave Desert and uh, California and so forth, and they all had gods. And then the, the one thing that happened or nothing would happen, and the tribe would go extinct. This was long before uh, the other people came to this continent. And so Louis L'Amour's premise is what happened to the gods? They don't have, no one remembers them and prays to them and does anything. And so his premise is that they're just wandering out there in the Mojave Desert. And he has this central character that goes into the desert and so forth. And he says, my name is, and I can't remember what it is, Lance Stone or something, whatever the name is. And I'm not afraid. Well, that was very interesting. <laughs> um, I could see how that would work. This young boy starts out as a very young boy. I am blankety blank and I'm not afraid and somehow I realized that would work with a very young boy I think the boy starts out at about seven or something unfortunately he uh, also says it at the end, very end of the book where he has a gunfight and <laughs> blows the bad guy away um, I am what do you wish to fill in there I am I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me and find something to put in that blank. 
The words are not important. There is only one thing going on. And here we are, this family of people all over this world, arguing about what to call it. And so what would you like to call it? Find something you would like to call. This morning I was calling it one. I am one. But would you like to call it love? I am love. Would you like to call it light? I am the light of the world. And I do not want to hold this grievance. What are you? What are you? I am the Son of God. I am the extension of God. I am truth. I am a good person. I am a decent human being. Or your name. I am John, Mary, Granola, whatever it may be. <clears throat> what are you? I am one, and I do not want Hugh Prather's opinions. I do not want Hugh Prather's stands on this and that and preferences for foods. I do not want Hugh Prather's typical response to this situation and that situation. I do not want that. I am one. I am one with thee, O thou infinite one. I am where thou art. I am what thou art. I am because thou art. I am one. You are everything, says A Course in Miracles. I am everything. I do not wish to turn on myself and denounce this brother. I am everything. And I do not wish to do this. And there is a way to let go of this grievance quickly and easily. Perhaps that will be helpful. All right. So sit down was the one of the hints. Here's another one. Don't bait and don't rise to the bait. Did we say that last time? Don't bait and don't rise to the bait. There is nothing fishy about that statement. Oh. You don't want to bait someone's ego. Do you want to bait someone's ego? This is the whole question. We act as if we wish to bait people's egos. We act, we act as if we wish to make them mad, as if we wish to make them feel bad, to feel sorry. Do you want to make someone remorseful? Do you want to make someone feel criticized? Do you want to make someone feel snubbed? Do they really deserve it? Of course you don't want to do that. Look in your heart and do not be confused. You know now who you are. Be it. Now's the time to be it. Be a brother. Be a sister. Let nothing deter you. Forget the mistake. Yes, you just made the mistake. 
but what are you going to do now? Because now you've looked in your heart. Do not bait another person's ego. And do not rise to the bait. The problem that we all have is that we do not think other people are doing their share. We think we are doing more than our friends or our spouse or our child or someone else. We can see so clearly the mistakes that this person makes, how they could try harder. If they had only said this or if they've only done this, we wouldn't have gotten upset. And we tell ourselves, we contrast this over and over again. Forget what other people are doing. Forget how much of the load they're carrying. Forget what they could have done. And another hint is, do not bring it up at the time. It's okay to bring things up, but it is almost impossible to bring something up at the time the person did it without their feeling criticized. Do you want them to feel criticized? Look in your heart and see, will this help this person go home to feel criticized? If they feel criticized, will they not feel cut off, lonely, they can't do it. Don't they already feel they can't do it? They've never been able to do it. They've never done anything right in their whole life. Which direction do you truly wish to push them in? And even if you've just made them feel criticized, look again. Let us look in our hearts and see what we wish to give each other. This day, this day, what's the day? Oh, here's the watch down here. I took it off then. 11th, March March, right? <laughs> March. March the 11th. What do we wish to give people this day? What do we, which direction do we wish to push them? You know the direction your childhood pushed you. You've been stumbling in that direction all of your life. Now is the time for us to look in our heart and see which direction we wish to walk. So, sit down. Don't bait, don't rise the bait. Don't bring things up at the time. So, of course, people shouldn't interrupt. Do not interrupt your brother and your sister. Do not step in front of your brother or your sister in a line. There is a line. And it's very important that you get this. Whatever it is, it's so important that you get it. I, I, I get caught up in this. I don't know why. Just the very fact that there's a line means it must be important. <laughs> and it's not important. I've got all the time in the world. But there's a line, and there are people trying to get to the front of it. And you can actually get caught up in this. <laughs> Jerry uh, Jampolsky told me that he was in an airport. He had to get to a speaking engagement. And he had to make this airplane connection. And, of course, the plane had overbooked. This is what we do in America. We overbook the plane. As those of you who fly by plane know. And so this was announced. And everybody rushed up to get the last few seats. <coughs> and Jerry started to do this. He started to step ahead of someone. Which he said he would have done without any hesitation most of his life. And then he heard a voice, do not step in front of your brother. Isn't that nice? Okay. 
And he didn't. And so it happens, he got a seat. It doesn't always work out that way. You must understand. <laughs> what happens is you feel better. You don't think about it. You're more peaceful. You feel more oneness, but you don't necessarily get on the plane. Okay, let's end with one more. I hear stretching and sighings and creaking of muscles. <laughs> so we'll end with one more. So we've mentioned many times here about how the ego so often, this is still the helpful hint section. We've mentioned many times how it's best not to kid. Kid always, kidding always has an element of attack. It's not it's conceivably a, there could be a kidding that doesn't. And there, of course, is at times a kidding that doesn't. And there are people who like to be kid, but kidded, but be sure that you know this before you kid someone. So people wonder why I mentioned David Poole so much and John Huntress, and I don't mention other people. It's because I know that I can kid them and it's not going to activate their ego. That's something I know well about them. But you'll notice that there's a lot of the other people I don't kid. I don't mention them. Not because I know that it would activate their ego, but because there's a question. If there's a question, don't do it. The ego so often comes into questions. There are no questions in God, but there are certainly a lot of questions in the ego. And so every time we ask a question, it's a good practice to just look at it to be sure what is the purpose of the question? What is it you're trying to call forth from the other person? And we've spoken about that many times, kidding and questions. But there's also the question we ask ourselves, such as, should I get a divorce? Should I stop seeing this person? Should I leave this office and work someplace else? That question is an absolute destroyer of peace. Do not have the question. If you have to say, well, I'm going to live with the person at least today. I'm not going to leave them today. And if you can see that with absolute certainty and sureness, then you can have a day of peace. But there is no way for you to have a day of peace if you're asking yourself, should I leave this person? There is no way you can enjoy your job if you're asking yourself, should I quit this job? Say to yourself, well, I know I don't want to quit it for at least till the end of the week because that's when I get paid. <laughs> and I don't trust the old guy. <laughs> then you have a chance of enjoying your job for the rest of the week. And then take up the question and sit quietly and look in your heart for the answer. But don't ask the question. Eliminate the question and feel the answer. Have no question. There is no question as to what to do, what to feel, how to act. There is no question as to how to walk home. There is no question that we are each other's brother and sister. There is no question that we're all the same. There is no question that God loves us. There is no question that we're all going to make it. There is no question what kind of day you wish to have today. You don't want a day 
of anger. I have to tell you something. Gail and I have been married 18 years. This is on the question, is there work involved in the spiritual path? Gail and I have been married 18 years. We have been studying A Course in Miracles for six years. A Course in Miracles talks a great deal about the holy relationship, which we don't mention much at the dispensable church because it makes people feel left out. Because people think they know what a holy relationship is. It's romantic. It's uh, opposite sex. And of course, it's nothing like that. But we don't even use the term here because people just get so unhappy. They come up afterwards and they ask. They're so unhappy because they felt excluded. So I don't even use the term. But you, 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 those of you who study the Course know that, know that it's just on almost every page. Either directly or indirectly, it's talking about the holy relationship. So for six years, Gail and I have been working on our relationship through A Course of Miracles. Yesterday, what, 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 oh, here's the watch. It didn't move, did it? The 10th, March the 10th, Gail and I, for the first time in over 18 years, had a single day in which we did not feel one disagreement with the other person. Now, it all came to an abrupt end at 2.30 this morning <laughs> when Jordan woke up. <laughs> Jordan's our little baby. But <laughs> that was the first one. And we were so happy. We have worked so hard at this, not to see differences, not to feel a disagreement, to feel a disagreement. Of course, you can get where you don't voice a disagreement. And that's often a good thing to do because it doesn't activate the other person. and They don't get caught up in it. doesn't broaden the problem and you can take care of it more easily but we didn't feel a single disagreement and we sat down at the end of the day to let go of the day that practice that I've talked to you about and both of us had almost nothing to let go of because the person we were living with we had practiced forgiveness for a single day and that took care of all the rest. This is what we want, isn't it? A single day in which we criticize no one, in which we know the peace of forgiveness. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and we'll end with a meditation. A very simple meditation. Let any person, anything, any situation come into your mind. Do not look for controversial situations. Don't create things that you know will raise a question in your mind. Just let the people, the objects come into your mind that come in and as each one comes in, simply look at it and say, you are innocent. Your hair is innocent. There may not be much of it, but it's innocent. Your nose is innocent. The neighbor's dog is innocent. The radiator is innocent. Whatever comes to your mind. Your mother is innocent. Your sister-in-law 
is innocent. Do that now. Just let things come into your mind. Look at them and see if you can see. Ah, that is just a hand. That's all it is. It's innocent. That is just a person who was born into the world, has had certain experiences, and that's the way they're acting at the moment. It is innocent. That is just a car. Whatever it may be, see if you can see this now. And my brothers and sisters, if it's all innocent, we can join with it. If it's nothing but innocent, we can be one with it. And so let me end the service with this prayer that you've heard me say so often. And say it in your heart with me. As a matter of fact, those of you who know it, say it out loud with me. I am one with thee, O thou infinite one. I am where thou art. I am what thou art. I am because thou art. That's the kind of day we want to have today.